lots and lots of spoilers. We stand at the dawn of a new era, a new world, a new series here at Max Mike Movies. <laughs> Semi-real people, our study of biopics, and by biopics, I mean movies that are meant to be factual or semi-factual stories about actual non-fictional real-type people. And by study, I mean watch and yammer about. <laughs> That's my favorite part. <laughs> yep, we're punting this new series off with Chaplin. The 1992 film about the life of Charlie Chaplin, the legendary Little Tramp, which coincidentally is Mike's nickname for me. And who am I? Well, I'm that legend in my own mind, Max Levine, and way or yonder is that star of stagecoach and screen door, Mike Buster Loose. Buster? Why not? Okay. Yes, Buster, like Keaton. I do feel a little icy hot right now. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, that's a real deeper... Yeah, seriously. You don't remember, do you? No. I'm Buster Crab for Icy Hot. Buster Crab did Icy Hot? Yeah. Yes. I did not remember that at all. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, but a couple of things before we leap into this. We are still considering doing our live show. Ooh. So uh, we still want to hear from you. We're also going to start doing a little thing. We're going to be doing... Uh, a poll question, Ooh. just a little question we want to a we want to ask you, and you can respond uh, we'll to us in ways that yep. we won't tell you till later. <laughs> yes, exactly. But uh, it'll be on the website, and it'll be uh, us telling you. But uh, this week, and we'll ask the question, we'll get your responses, and we'll talk about our responses to it also next week. Mm -hmm. Has there ever been a movie you walked out on? I don't mean like because the theater was on fire or. <laughs> You'd had just a little, a little too much uh, killer chili dinner, or you stopped at Taco Bell, or anything like that. I mean, the just the movie for some reason made you want to leave. Just we'd like to know. Yeah. And if so, what was the movie, and why did you want to leave? Yeah. And then and we'll, if we get comments, we'll use them on the show. Yes, we will for free. For free. <laughs> Well, you'll get half of what we get. Wow. Can we afford <laughs> yeah, that? I think so. Oh. But we move on now to trivia. But first, a pause. The show. That was the best pause ever. <laughs> uh, this film was not exactly a financial success. The budget was $31 million. The worldwide gross was nine and a half million. Oh, dear. Now... It was a critical success to a certain degree, and it scored three Oscar nominations. Uh, one was Best Actor for Robert Downey Jr., Best Art Direction, uh, and Best Original Score. It didn't win any. Oops. Yeah. This was really one of the high points for actor Robert Downey Jr. Unfortunately, it also kind of marked the beginning of the downward trend in his personal life. The dark years of like 95 to 2001 when he slid deeper and deeper into addiction. Hmm. Which he did turn himself around and ended up in a little indie film called I Ironic Man or something. I forget. Never heard of it. Yeah, me neither. Uh, this was directed by famed actor Sir Richard Attenborough. Were it? Who, yeah, were. Who you may remember as the man who spared no expense in Jurassic Park. <laughs> 
and tons of other stuff. Apparently he spared no expense on this film either. (laughs) Yeah, nope. Yeah, the original cut of this movie was almost four hours long, and they shot over 200 hours of footage. Ah, okay. The the movie's about two hours 20, roughly. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Uh, There is an actual chaplain in this movie. Yes. Geraldine Chaplin, Chaplin's daughter, plays her own grandmother. Ah, uh, my own grandma. Yep, pretty much. <laughs> and apparently on set, she recalled in an interview later when she first saw Downey in full costume, she was so stunned at how much he looked like her late father, she couldn't talk. She <laughs> just stood there staring at him. Well, luckily so, her part wasn't very big, so... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, contrary to what's presented, there are a number of, and we're going to deal with this, um, things that are left out, things that are flat out inaccurate, but despite what's presented in the movie, Charlie Chaplin did have a child with Mildred Harris, Mm -hmm. his second wife. Mm. Their, their son, Norman Spencer Chaplin died three days after his birth. Yep. Yeah. Uh, this movie was originally going to be called Charlie, because that's how everybody knew him. His friends, his family, his fans, they all called him Charlie. However, there was a film in 1968, the Cliff Robertson movie, Charlie, with a Y, and they complained that the title would lead to confusion with their movie from 20 years prior. Never mind so, the famous perfume. Yeah, yes, that's right. <laughs> which was, but Because that, like th- that, this movie is kind of free, kind of wow. Charlie. <laughs> deeper uh, day. It's deeper yeah, day here at the yeah, old yeah. podcast. Yeah, I, I, I gotta say, I don't think there'd be a lot of confusion between a movie about a mentally handicapped man who is surgically altered and Charlie Friggin Chaplin, but whatever. Well, I can see the similarities right there. <laughs> uh-huh. uh, Sir, uh, Sir Richard Attenborough turned down a whole bunch of movie roles because of obligations to the movies he directed. During the post-production and promotion of this movie, of Chaplin, he almost had to do it again when Spielberg offered him the role of John Hammond in Jurassic Park. But Spielberg offered to move his production schedule, the whole schedule, to accommodate Attenborough. He wanted him that bad. Wow. Yeah. Uh, To prepare for his role, Downey learned how to play the violin and play tennis left-handed. Because he's not left-handed, and Chaplin was. Huh. He also, he also got a coach to help him imitate Charlie Chaplin's posture and mannerisms. However, his accent, well, we'll get to that. Well, yeah. <laughs> uh, Charlie Chaplin's first wife, I'm wrong here, yeah, the, the one that he uh, did have the child who died at age three days, Mildred Harris, was 16 when they met, had an yeah. affair, and got married all in the same year. She is played in this movie by Mila Jovovovovovovovovovovovovovovovovovovovovovovovovovovovovovovovovovovovovovovovovovovovovovovovovovovovovovovovovovovovovovovovovovovovovovovovovovovovovovovovovovovovovovovovovovovovovovovovovovov
Uh, Charlie Chaplin's eyes were described as strikingly blue by those who knew him. Oops. Robert Downey's are hazel. Strikingly brown. <laughs> yeah. They look dark brown and brighter lighting in some of his uh, scenes and some of the movies. You can see that they're hazel with green highlights, but they are very much not blue. I mean, let's face it, though. Charlie Chaplin's mostly known from black and white films. I doubt yeah. anybody knew. <laughs> yeah. Although, his yeah, his eyes tend to look pale in some of the close-ups. Uh, besides Geraldine Chaplin, who was actually in two of her father's movies... There's only one other actor in this in the cast of Chaplin who had appeared in a movie with the real Charles Chaplin. That was the legendary Phil Brown. Oh, yeah. I know. <laughs> yes, you do know him. You know who he's best known as? He was Uncle Owen in Star Wars. Wow. Yes. And what was he in this? In He wasn't in the movie Chaplin. He was in a Charlie Chaplin movie called A King in New York in 1957 where he played a projectionist. Okay, but he has no connection to this film. No, he has no connection to this film. He just has a connection to Charlie Chaplin. I bet a lot of oh, people do. Yep, yep. <laughs> That's a weird fact. Oh, I'm, so, I'm sorry. Phil Brown also plays a projectionist in Chaplin. He okay. is in Chaplin. It's <laughs> like, why are yes. you bringing this? Hey, you yes. know another actor who's been... Uh, Fred Fine, this can yeah. go. Shut up, this can go on the blooper reel. <laughs> do we have There's one? a fair amount of other stuff, uh, but not as much as you would have thought for this movie. A lot of it is who else was considered to play Charlie Chaplin. Some of which I don't know. Well, like one of them was Nicolas Cage. Okay. <laughs> sure, he was a head taller than Charlie, but with his cape in front of his face, the uh, Attenborough figured the audience would never know. <laughs> I've got to figure out the little trap. <sighs> the little trap, man. <laughs> no. Uh, also, uh, dear Hollywood, no. no. Thank you. Nick, Nick Nolte. Yeah, that would it wouldn't that been something? Oh uh, yeah. Come on. Come on, Doug Kirk. We gotta go. We're going down to New Mexico. We're gonna go to Salt Lake City and cut this film in the in the bathroom. Blah. Or something. I don't know. Hell, I don't know what movie I'm in. Who am I playing again? Sorry, sorry, Mr. Nolte. You're just so much fun. But there's a lot of other there is a fair amount of other stuff, but We'll get into that as we actually go along. Nick Nolte is Liza Minnelli in a film you won't believe. <laughs> Indeed. And we get brings us now to the plot. Ah. Yeah, I gotta say, the, the plot section of these biopics is gonna be pretty short. This movie follows the life of one Charles Spencer Chaplin. Good night, everybody! Now, a, a young British sprog who started out in music halls and became one of the most famous figures in film the world has ever seen. We see the tragedy of his mentally ill mother and his rapid rise to stardom in the emerging world of film, which I still maintain as a fad, as well as his many, many, many questionable decisions regarding his romantic life yeah. and how he was eventually banished from the United States to return in triumph almost 20 years later. Mm. Yeah. yeah, pretty much you could sum the plot up. It's a story of Charlie Chaplin told mostly by Charlie Chaplin. Right. And now, the middle part. Yep. The lowdown. So, Max, had you, I know we ask this all the time, had you seen this when it came out? I had never, no, not, I never saw it when it came out in the theaters. I saw chunks of it on TV. I'd watch for a little while, and then I would stop. Mm. Had I, you seen it? I rented it. Um, oh. And I don't, I think like the early 90s was a part, it was a time 
although to be fair, if I rented it, it might have been closer to the mid-90s, where I started looking for films other than what was being spoon-fed me by the local SAC or General Cinema. Oh, you could have gotten in serious legal trouble for that. <laughs> hey, I still went. Highlander <laughs> 2. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. But um, I, I started branching out and looking for things that were more interesting. And I think that the buzz about this film was the performance. Uh, this was a Robert Downey Jr., or at least at the time, this was the considered the Robert Downey Jr.'s most amazing performance. Um, and also looking back now, there was people in here I just did not remember that were there. Uh, Mila Jovovich, because she wasn't anybody then, right? We, we wouldn't yeah. know her for like another few years until she was, you know, we got to see all of her in The Fifth Element. Um, David Duchovny hadn't become David Duchovny yet because no. I think it was like he made this right before X-Files premiered because X-Files, I think, was 93. I think that's right, yeah. So Nobody nobody knew him. He plays Roly, the projectionist slash film editor, yeah. whatever they called them back then. Yeah. Um, yeah, Dan Aykroyd is in this. As, yes, we see a as, lot of Max, Dan Aykroyd. As Max Sennett. My yeah. God, one of the legends. Yeah. The guy they called the king of comedy. Yeah, uh, owner of, uh, not Senate Studios, that was one of the little mistakes, no. it was actually Keystone Keyst Studios from That's once they got, got the Keystone Cops. Yep, yep, he was the one who invented the Keystone Cops. If you don't know the Keystone Cops, I would say if you, there were two things you probably know from silent era films if you know anything. Charlie Chaplin's number one and the Keystone Cops are probably number two. Even if you've never seen a Keystone Cops film, you probably, like that term brings You'd up. You'd recognize it. If, if you see yeah. a clip of them, you go, oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. They could the sheer level of influence that those movies have had on modern cinema it cannot be overstated. Um, I, I think that Robert Downey Jr. does a credible job, but I actually think there's somebody in here who was better cast than he was. Yeah, who is that? I don't know about you, but there is literally nobody else I could think of to play Douglas uh, Fairbanks and Kevin yep. Klein. <laughs> Kevin Klein was, was born to play Douglas Fairbanks, and I believe this was Fairbanks Sr. Yes. Not Jr., yes. The the greatest one of the greatest action stars of the era. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, he was perfect. Yeah. He he. I totally believed he was Douglas Fairbanks. He swings around when he doesn't have to, just because that's yep. what Fairbanks would do. That's um, just you what do he get the sense. To do. You get the sense that he was a ladies' man and maybe other things as well. Um, which you know, eh, probably that, that's a different bio picture. Um, but it's Kevin Klein in his prime too, and back then Kevin Klein could do anything. <laughs> Damn him. I'm surprised my, he Kevin doesn't... Kevin to remind you, is my nemesis. <laughs> yeah, sure. Because well, he, to he, remind him. <laughs> yeah. what, do you, what do you mean, remind? You think he ever knew? <laughs> oh, no. Kevin Klein to me, is just proof again that the universe is completely unfair. Yeah. You know, but, um, uh, also, did you recognize... I really hope you didn't, but did you recognize the girl who plays Mary Pickford? I didn't, and when I saw her in the credits, I was like, What? <laughs> Yeah, that was whatever her name was from the legendary, I think it's 98 version of Godzilla with yeah. Matthew Broderick. Well, that's... She's the love interest. Well, I can't even remember her character's name. And then there was another entirely unrecognizable Marissa Tomei, and it's like, yes. wait, she was in this? Yep, um, and she's in like two scenes. Yeah, but even and still. And she's great, she's great in both of them. She was, uh, what was her name, Norman? Uh, one of the first female directors. Right. Uh, and she gets uh, all in, in Chaplin's face because he's just impossible. Mabel, and Mabel Norman, that's he, right. That's right, because she would she did there was there was something using her name, I forget what they were called, but the Mabel comedies or something like that. Um, and she was one of the first directors to get Chaplin and uh, 
basically Chaplin was like, yeah, that's nice. I want to do this myself. And as early on as he could, um, moved on to do his own things. Robert Downey Jr., I think, as his acting goes, does a really good job. As his accent goes... <laughs> the problem is, yeah. is that his Cockney's okay. His upper-class British, which, to be fair, I'm willing to believe that, that Chaplin would have transitioned to as he rose through society. Oh, he did. He was very embarrassed by his Cockney background, and he really he worked really, really hard to abolish... Not just the Cockney, but he wanted to get rid of the English accent in general. He didn't quite do it. Mm. But I think he was better at it than uh, than Downey is, because his slips quite a bit. Yeah, and it's a hard thing to do. Um, and to be fair, when we hear... Well, let's look at uh, uh, Bendy Straw Pickle Patch when he was doing Doctor Strange. <laughs> it's like, what part of the United States are you from? Because mm? <laughs> uh, it's not clear. <laughs> it's not New York, that's for sure. Um, yeah. So, you know, everybody has trouble with that, with maintaining an accent. Um, but otherwise, the the performance is very nuanced we get a very romantic charlie champlet even if those are the very squidgy scenes that make us all go ah yeah yeah Um, i mean this is very much from his perspective you can tell it was based on something he wrote because it really does gloss over the more awkward elements of his life especially the romantic ones and the sexual exploits and the fact that he was really into much younger women I mean, good Lord, his last, his last wife, you know, Una O'Neill, uh, who I, I want to talk about uh, how she's portrayed. She was, she had just turned 18 mm. and he, no. he was, no, she had, was, <laughs> she was well, 17. Yeah. Oh no. According to, uh, I, I checked according, according to, to Wikipedia, the bio, she was 17 yeah. and he was 54. Yeah. <laughs> I had read she had just she was a debt, but she's announced as a debutante, and you become a debutante usually when you hit eighteen. Not in this case. <laughs> well, I think they didn't get married until she was eighteen. That's but, no uh, better. Yeah, anyway, yeah, but he was. Yeah, it was a there was a thirty six year age difference. Yeah, something they gloss over about uh, Una O'Neill. You know where Dad was? No. Playwright Eugene O'Neill. Oh, good lord! Oh, yeah. you must have loved this. <laughs> So it's like, why did you, uh, huh? That's a pretty famous connection, but no, they just left it out. There, um, yeah, there are some strange things they leave out in this, too. There is that, that big famous dinner scene or celebration scene at the end of World War One, where they're all at a big table where Chaplin first meets J. Edgar Hoover. Yeah, and he wasn't by, wearing a dress, because they got yeah, that wrong. Yeah, they got that totally <laughs> wrong. He's wearing men's clothes in every scene we see him in. Yeah. He's oddly played by, I thought fairly well, by Kevin Dunn, who is usually known... Kevin Dunn was a stand-up comic. He usually plays a lot of dads. Okay. And he actually is a pretty convincing Hoover because yeah. Hoover came across very often as kind of uh, uh, harmless looking. Okay. And boy, was he not. I bet he wasn't in a dress yeah. either. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, at that same dinner, we hear in the back, uh, he's saying, right, right, you are Mr. Hurst. William Randolph Hearst is sitting at that table. As is his girlfriend Marion. I can never remember her last name. Oh yeah, right. The act, the actress. Yeah, yes, who allegedly Chaplin may or may not have had an affair with as well. Uh, there is, yeah, there's there's some part of old Hollywood legend is that uh, Hearst tried to kill Chaplin on on his boat and failed and killed someone else and it all got hushed up. This is just 
Allegedly. Let me make that clear. Allegedly. Interestingly, it would not be the last assassination attempt, but we'll get to that. Yeah. <laughs> Which was like crazy crap that got left out of the movie. Anyway, um, yeah, I, I didn't know about the whole... Like, I didn't know that much about Chaplin's history when I before I saw this film, and I had forgotten it since I've seen it. And I didn't know about the whole what would eventually become the House on American Committee thing, which, of course, was really more uh, Senator... McCarthy. McCarthy, thank you. Yeah. But yeah. J. Edgar is sitting there. That putts. Yeah, well, there was a whole bunch of them. Uh, yeah. J. Edgar just had a thing. He just hated Chaplin, hated him. He hated him because he was over here on a green card and never applied for citizenship. He hated him because he thought he was a communist, although Chaplin throughout his life said no. The most he ever said was, I'm an anarchist. I think people should be free. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, he just was like, I don't like the influence he's having. And to be fair... We're entering a whole new realm of potential influence and celebrity that had never existed before. The motion picture was literally reaching the entire world. And uh, I looked into the, some of the money. The, some, some of the money that they, they portray in the film isn't even close to what Charlie Chaplin was making. Because oh. um, they made a big deal about how he, he wanted a thousand bucks and how Senate was like, no, I'm not going to give you a thousand dollars. No, but this studio over here offered him twelve fifty. Um, <laughs> and then a year after that, he went to go to a new studio, which ended up being Mutual. They gave him a hundred and fifty thousand dollars signing bonus and ten thousand a week. <laughs> Which you got to remember, this is like ni- the nineteen teens and the nineteen twenties. That was a lot. I'd take that now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is a hundred yeah, years but ago. But the thing is, he was money in the bank. His early days, his, I don't think any of his er, for as early as first thirty movies. I don't think any of them lost money. Well, and there was tons of Chaplin merch. So there was comics, toys, songs, all this stuff. And mm. the deal was for this ten k a week and this hundred and fifty k signing bonus is that Chaplin had to release a two wheel film every month, <laughs> which he did. <laughs> I, for the I did first like year. how uh, what Max Sennett says. This is apparently a real quote. Yeah. So, you know, I do a class act. I don't put out more than two movies a week. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, he went over to another company called First National Exhibitor Circuit, and he said, okay, I want a million dollars for eight movies. And that's when he built his studio. And they're like, uh-huh. okay, because <laughs> he was, they're just, this had never been seen before. Okay, sure, you might have heard of a performer of some sort. Or, you know, we had records at this point, so there might be like, oh, you know, Caruso. People know who Caruso, Caruso is. Um, yeah, and the even, scale of fame that this, it was, it's unprecedented. Yeah, it just did not exist. And so... The problem is he used to be able to make bad decisions and people wouldn't know about it. And with Chaplin, every decision he made, everybody knew about. And they kind of downplay that in the film, too, because actually some of his stories got leaked out. And uh, there was actually the people were um, protesting against some of Chaplin's films at various points in his career. Um, but yeah, a million dollars for eight movies back in 19, you know, 18 or 19. Unheard of. Unheard of. That was... And that then, was like, if you were making a joke, is that, oh, yeah, I'll get a million dollars. You know, that that's Dr. Evil sort of one million dollars. <laughs> yeah. That's when it, that's what a million dollars meant a hell of a lot. But like, for an example, The Gold Rush, we see a very little of this. This is one of his bigger films. Oh, uh, yeah. That film made over five million dollars in its initial release. <laughs> oh. Five million, nineteen, twenty, whatever dollars. 
And that's right before you know what was about to happen. So, yeah. yeah. By the way, that is true. It's a throwaway line, but some, for whatever reason, and he could ne- never explain why, Chaplin dumped his entire stock portfolio the year before the crash. He dumped it all in 1928. Yeah. So he, he just sailed through the Depression. All right, uh, I think we should sort of uh, circle mm. back around because we're we're getting I, we're not even yeah. on a track. We started off with performances. Yep, yep. Um, I would say that the film um, starts rather oddly because um, it starts with Chaplin as a child, or actually no, it starts with him talking to to Anthony Hopkins in Switzerland. And That's then, kind of the framing device, yeah. Right, and then suddenly we're in a Dickens novel. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. His mother bombs on stage, so he jumps out, hams it up, and. Uh, I, I gotta say, I noticed that there, these people in the balcony are throwing coins at this small boy. I'm like, that really doesn't seem safe to me. Well, also, I know, I know, that was how they made money, but it's like, yee. I also I just how, felt like they were a little, un, it was unlikely. Yeah, like, kid wasn't that good. But. No, and his mother wasn't that bad, she just wasn't interesting. Yeah, yeah. But whatever. Um, there but was I, nothing I, I could find that said that that scene actually existed. Yeah. I do have to say... Downey, when he's trying, when he's being Chaplin and he's doing doing Chaplin's shtick, and he's trying to be funny, he's funny. His rich drunk mm-hmm. at the uh, theater yeah. that made me laugh. I thought that was really hilarious. And when he he really gets Chaplin's physical style down, and Chaplin was a remarkable acrobat. Mm-hmm. He had his his physical comedy. It was no one had ever seen anything like it. No. Not even not even Buster Keaton or Harold Lloyd came close to that. Well, theirs was very different. It was also mm. very physical and demanding, but it was very like the whole their stuff generally was if I can time this exactly right, nobody mm. gets hurt and it looks amazing. Whereas Chaplin's like, I can fall and then get back up in the same movement. Yeah. And I, yeah, it was very He was he, he was he, an athlete, that man. He kinda you know, in some ways he kind of reminds me of Jackie Chan. Because mm. When he's interacting with other people and using them as props, it's kind of the way Jackie works, except Jackie's a bit faster. <laughs> well, all, and he was like, I like that in that he had absolutely no fear. He did not care about hurting himself. And he, that's the thing they leave out. He hurt himself quite a lot. Yeah. In I his movies. I didn't find that. What did you find? I found he mostly bruises He because he was also an absolute master of pratfall. Okay. So he knew how to fall. He knew how to land. But once he started trying to use props... He had bought his back was all covered with scars. He was cut. He got cut up a lot, uh, but he never stopped. He would just keep going. He go that just stick a bandaid on me. I'm fine. Yeah. Um, then things get kind of weird. So we see him when he's like seven, and he goes to the workhouse. Spoiler: In real life, he actually went twice, but that's fine. Um, that's the Dickens novels part because it's like, oh, your family has no money, so you're going to yeah. go and make shoes or that something. That was absolutely real, though. Oh yeah, the workhouses were real, and they were. A nightmare. Yeah. I mean, that's why there's Dickens novels. Yeah. Half of the Dickens novels take place either in them or because of them. Um, but they didn't sing, and there was, you know, plenty of porridge for everyone. Um, but then he's suddenly 12, and it's like, okay, I mean, basically saying nothing particularly exciting or interesting happened between 7 and 12. That, that's probably true. Nothing ha- interesting happens to most people. But then... You blink and it's Robert Downey Jr. and it's like, mm. what what happened? And his his brother, it's actually not his brother, it's his half brother, mm-hmm. um, Sid, 
is there and then he's gone he's been he's off with the navy and then he's back and apparently they don't even say this really he's just like i can get you a job why can you get me a job well it turns out that sid has actually been going trying to be an actor himself and has a job with this big producer in in england and that's mm, why he, carno yeah, yeah the, the magnificent yeah uh, <laughs> you sis, are correct to winky breath sis boomba um <laughs> And this is where the this is one of the problems that I have with the film is that starting fairly early on, things are kind of disjointed. Um, they start to feel like bits and pieces sewn together with Robert Downey Jr. as the the one and only thread, um, and Charlie Chaplin, if one or the other, it doesn't really matter because some characters come and go. We don't even know who they are. Mm. Like Roly, the 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 projectionist slash editor, we we hear his name once. And he's working with Max Sennett. The next thing we know, Charlie's somewhere else, but Rolly's with him. Yeah. I don't know if that's because that was a real thing, or they just decide, well, why hire somebody else? We have this David Duck something. Well, he'll never be a, anything. We'll just give him a break and let him do the rest of the film. It does. And little things that they throw around, like uh, there's a sequence where he meets Edna Purviance, this secretary in a, in a cafe. This is actually how he met her. Mm-hmm. And she's she becomes uh, she's the main love interest in I think it's uh, the kid or modern times. Yeah, she's the one in the bean eating scene. Right. Uh, she gets she's on screen for about two and a half minutes. Yeah. She was in thirty three of his movies. Yeah, he worked with her a lot. He, he was with she was with him the whole way, and he liked her so much. They may have had a romance. I think I think they did, but. Uh, he he liked her so much that even after she left the business, Chaplin Studios kept paying her uh, like a stipend every month. Yeah, same thing with the kid because you see scenes of the kid and it's actually from the movie The Kid. They didn't try and reshoot it, and you see him going, "Wow, I love that kid." They never tell you who it is. It's Jackie yeah, Coogan the- who would mm-hmm. like not only continue to act; he's probably best known as Uncle Fester in the Adams yeah. Family, but. He would show it. He was also Mr. Duggan in the one episode of The Brady Bunch where uh, Carol has a car accident. Um, <laughs> I know. Any? Yeah, never mind. Okay. <laughs> hey, I remember dumb crap. Yeah. But and there's like, something. We don't, we don't see any connection with Chad. He's like, oh, I love that kid. I guess I'll just never talk to him or do anything with him again. I, huh? <laughs> just one of those moments. Like, it, it seems like you're trying to make a connection between our main character and somebody who he's not going to actually sleep with. And then you decide not to do it. So, weird. Some of it is. Um, oh. Also, there's this scene where he suddenly creates the tramp character. Well, I did like the fact that they point out, because he make, when he's telling the story, it's like magic, and the hat leaps yeah. into his hand, and the cake. And then the, the biography basically calls BS, literally. Yeah. Yeah. He says, you know that. He says, yeah, but the truth is no fun. And it, because it took him... It, they make it look like it took a few minutes, admittedly. It took him weeks to figure out the tramp character, to figure out what to wear, what yeah. the makeup would be. He didn't just slap it together. Yeah. It was a very careful, painstaking process. And he talks about things, I read a little bit about this, where he wanted the entire costume to be contradictory. So you have a very tight vest, but very loose pants, a very tight hat, but very big shoes. So the whole thing was meant to be very disjointed, but in a very, very specific way. But he did say that once he finally got the costume right, the character fell into place. And that Mm. I can believe, but I did appreciate uh, Anthony Anthony Hopkins basically saying, uh, no, 
<laughs> that's not how it happened, Charlie. Don't uh, don't yeah. kid a kidder, basically. But and this is a long film. This is over two hours, two hours and yeah. twenty minutes. I mean, yep. it's not as bad as some of the other films we've watched. But yep. uh, his rise to fame is really like you just Easy. blink. Yeah, yeah. It's done, and I, I don't know. Maybe it was, but but that's well, I, one. That's kind of a problem with it. Is it's a little hard. Everything just falls in his lap. Yeah. I mean, he's literally on in, on some vaudeville tour, and he gets a telegram from Matt Sen- Max Senate offering him a job just out of nowhere. There's well, no implication that he even applied for it. And that was even one of the things that I found that was not exactly they like they gloss over those things. Um, he was actually uh, well, he didn't start doing singing when he was a little kid. He was actually um, doing a dance act. Uh, he wasn't doing comedy, and he his big break was actually playing somebody called Billy the Page Boy in a Sherlock Holmes play, which toured three times through the UK. So for over two and a half years, he was playing this part in a play, which they don't even talk about. Um, then he gets picked up by that guy Carno, um, and he tours the U.S. for 21 months. It wasn't like, well, I guess I'll start in Montana. My big break! I'm at Shrafts, or whatever. <laughs> um, and That's you know right, what he's out in... In Butt, Montana. <laughs> but. <laughs> I know um, it's you know one of the people he was on tour with? No. Stan no. Laurel. Oh, wow. Not mentioned at all, because of course Stan Laurel would do basically the same thing as Charlie Chaplin. He'd go from the stage into the silent films, and then he would continue. Um, when he got back to England, he was home for like three or four months, and then he started another tour for about another eight months, and that's when he got the the uh, notice. So it wasn't like this, oh, I performed in this podunk town, and I get a telegram. There was like almost, you know, three years worth of touring mm. that got him noticed, but there, ah, we don't need that. Yeah, it does make it look like he just fell into it, and that does a disservice both to him and to the process itself, Yeah, which is unfortunate. And they do gloss over a lot of, uh, especially the romances, the fact that, boy, did he like jailbait. At least they Yikes. mentioned the term, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. And yeah they, that was I, uncomfortable. I will say that the camera does focus on the young women in this movie in ways that I generally don't like because, of course, they're trying to sexualize them, except in this case... They're doing it, or Richard Attenborough is doing it on purpose because he's like, this is how Chaplin saw women. And yeah, he like, even says that in his autobiography. He yeah. just never met a woman without immediately thinking about uh, getting her in bed. Yeah, and so the camera will sit there. It's like, oh, somebody dropped something, they bend over, and we're looking right at her cleavage. Yes, it is sort of, I hate to use the just, word, titillating, but uh-huh. that's how Chaplin would have looked at her. And it's the, like, oh, and she has a personality later. You know, okay. Great. What did, what did you think of the fact that well, we see Charlie's alleged first love, uh, Hetty, a uh-huh. showgirl, and then Una O'Neill, his fi- his last wife, they're pl- both played by the same actress, Moira Kelly. Are they? <laughs> yeah. You didn't ah. know? Yeah. You must have, yeah. I uh, did not Th- notice they are, that. I think they dye her hair. But, a lot, because uh, she was a redhead in the beginning yeah, of the film. Yeah. And Moira Kelly is, in fact, a brunette. What did you think of that? I find I found that a little too precious. I would have if I'd noticed it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's obvious he found somebody that reminds him of Hetty, whom he never got over. And that part was true. She actually did marry a banker or a financier, and she died uh, when she was 28. So uh, that part was true. Um, I, I guess, I don't know. It, obviously, it bothered you. 
Well, it annoys me when they... That's gimmicky, I mm-hmm. think. And I think it's unnecessary. Nothing against Moira Kelly, who I think is terrific. Uh, but I, I, it just... It's making... It, it's kind of shoving it in your face. Like, get it? Get it? She reminds him of his lost love, and she's played by the same actress. Yes, see? This movie is not big on subtle. No. I mean, there's, some of it is pretty obvious. When he's a kid, when he's in his 12-year-old, uh, we see him making fun of some drunk, we call yeah. Rummy, and you notice that the drunk's walk is exactly the walk he'll use for the tramp. Yeah, I had that in my notes. I thought that was like, don't do that. Don't, yeah, that's... No. We it, we don't know that any of that is true, so don't. I hate it when they do that. Like they they have to to make famous artists or actors or singers or whatever their moments have to have come from some one place. It can't just be a natural organic process. They're like, oh, you know, because he made fun of this guy. That's where his whole character. No, no, it probably didn't. Like I don't even. I never read anything that said he got it from that. Um, and it's like they they can't. Hollywood's really bad at depicting people succeeding from hard work. Like, it's like somehow you can't do that. And mm. here, you know, like we just talked about, he chore- he chored for almost three years. He played the same character for two and a half on the stage and got noticed for that. And then he didn't just go from Matt Sennett to one other company. He went through three other companies before... And they, they barely talk about this before he, Mary Pickford, Doug Fairbanks, and a couple other people formed United Artist. United Artist was a growing concern for a really long time. And the idea behind it was that these were people that were deciding, hey, we don't want to just be told what to do. We want to have control over our work. And it was, you know, pretty revolutionary for the time, which is probably also why he got in trouble. But they barely talk about United Artists. It's just sort of a blip. You were mentioning how uh, there were people pro- who protested some of his movies. One of his most controversial was The Great Dictator. <laughs> yeah. Which was his... And it was. He he couldn't stand Adolf Hitler. It drove him crazy that they had the same mustache. Which, by the way, is probably a coincidence. I read one thing that said one of the reasons for Hitler's short mustache is uh, he was a soldier in World War One, and anyone with facial hair kept it trimmed very close for, to get a better seal with the gas mask. Sure. Uh, the Brits had them, too. I mean, that was yeah. just Charlie. It was a no, thing. No, no. It was a thing. Um, Apparently, Hitler really liked Charlie Chaplin movies. Uh, he enjoyed them a lot. He And uh, he screened, he got a private copy of The Great Dictator. Uh, and, and there is at least one rumor that it made him cry. Uh, probably I, not there's the no last... proof of this, but... <laughs> Uh, probably not the last five minutes. I haven't seen the film, but apparently the final five minutes of that movie is a speech with Chaplin dropping character, just facing the camera and pleading for an end to war and fascism. Franklin Delano Roosevelt, I can't say Roosevelt, 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 FDR, I should have just said FDR. That's what I wrote. Why didn't I just say FDR? (laughs) He liked it so much. He had Chaplin read that speech at his 1941 inauguration. He he also liked it. Chaplin was actually thinking that he wouldn't publish, he wouldn't put out the film. He made the film, he didn't want to release it because by that point, Hitler was, he said, I don't think Hitler's a joke. I don't think this is something we should make fun of. FDR got in touch with him and said, he was also worried about boycotts. He said, release this film. I I want you to release this film. And I guarantee you, by the way, that that no one in the U.S. and none of our allies will boycott this film. 
That's now, how important he thought it was. It did get some bad write-ups, um, but it was generally well-received. It was not that not as successful as like the Gold Rush or anything like that, but it was generally well-received, which they also kind of gloss over in here. Mm-hmm. Um, this, it's funny, because this film is like... Often when you get biopics, you get, you know, whole cloth lies or real messing about with the timeline. Since we already talked about it, uh, we're not going to bring it up in this series, but uh, Bohemian Rhapsody, for example. Man, it's like that film leads you to believe that after Live Aid in 1985, Queen never performed again, Freddie Mercury died, and that was the end of it. And as it turned out, he hadn't even been diagnosed yet, and they went on to uh, continue to record until 1992. He actually... It's kind of sad they left it out because he was shown as being very bravely working up until the very last minute that he possibly could, and they just decided that wasn't worth putting in. Yeah, um, they do. T- that's what happens with these. Also, this was based largely on Chaplin's own work. Right. On his own autobiography, he's going to want to make himself look a little better. Yeah, but he was dead by the time they made this, and uh, Edinburgh, oh, yeah. I don't know that Edinburgh actually knew him, so, yeah. No, I don't think so, but... Um, so, yeah, I would say that this film is... It's generally fairly factually accurate it's mostly omission that it's its issue um and some of the stuff they they omit i think is really too bad we really barely get a sense of any of his movies like Mm. we get a little bit of city lights which is the young woman who's blind who you know how does she figure out that the guy's rich and mistake charlie chaplin for the rich guy we see a scene of that um we see a little bit of the kid we see the one scene from the gold rush which takes place we see them we see a little bit of modern times yeah but like we don't get any sense of his films like what's in them and what he's trying to portray and what he's trying to get across which is kind of weird i don't know i i think at least in 1992 people were still pretty familiar with his movies i grew up watching them a lot of people grew up watching them I think I had seen bits and pieces. Oh, I'd seen like a dozen of them in their entirety. But that's the thing is you're not necessarily making a biopic or a factually based film for people who already know the facts. You're supposed to be making it for people who don't generally know as much and want to learn more. Yeah, but you don't want to fill the thing with clips of other movies. No, but on the other hand, we, we don't even see him making them that much. Like we hear him talking about oh, this film's taking me forever, and oh, I, I, you know, we don't even hear that the films are doing as well as they are, like, oh, Charlie's doing well, but like, dear gods, they don't, still don't portray anything close to how much money he was making for the time. Five million seems like chump change now, but that was nuts back then. I think they do, I think they do show it, I don't agree with that, I think they show it in terms of like, you see his house, and his car, and his chauffeur, and the fine clothes, and how everyone defers to him and how people go nuts wherever and they all recognize him. I think we get a pretty good idea that he's do, how how successful and how rich he is. I don't think in comparison to the times we do cuz we expect Hollywood stars to be to be rich, right? But this is different. There aren't any. This is a whole new thing. Um, they also do, there's one thing that they really kind of mess up and I'm like, why did they decide to do that? So when he takes that trip back to England, um, mm. They portray it as being this sort of like, you know, cold water to the face. You and, can't go home again sort of yeah, thing. And um, actually, he enjoyed it so much, he wrote a book about it called My Wonderful Visit. 
Uh, so it's like, um, maybe not so much. I, th- I wondered why it felt like such a bad melodrama. That sequence, which is only about 10 minutes long, yeah. uh, it, doesn't, it, it feels awkward. It doesn't feel believable the way yeah. most, a lot of the rest of it does. You know, um, what, what did you think? I, he, one of his chaplain's big controversy or conflicts with himself and with, his, with everyone, in effect, was when talkies came out. Right. And everyone, including his own brother, who was his manager, was bugging him to make talkies, and he wouldn't do it. We see this in the movie. He's yep. absolutely adamant that Tramp can't talk. Do you think he was right? Yes. Yeah, I do too. Uh, I it's just that's the way the character was conceived, and it's not a case that Charlie couldn't talk, but that's not how the character ev- emotes, evokes its its uh, what it wants to say. It's everything is in movement, and as he points out very smartly in the film, it's like you talk about talkies, you're leaving out the other nine tenths of the world that doesn't speak English who can watch my films and mm. don't need anybody to tell them what's going on. Yeah, there's probably some title cards that get translated out, but that's like, you know, a day's worth of work. He it's didn't not... use a lot of title cards, no. not compared to a lot of the other silent movies, which some of which you had to read like it was like reading a novel. Yeah. But uh, uh, he he's right because, and I, I think it was because the tramp, the whole idea was the tramp was supposed to be an everyman. Right. And he couldn't have his own voice because he had to have our voice. He had to have everybody's voice. The vo- You could put your own voice in him. I, I, always, I liked that, and I think he was he was dead on about that. Well, interestingly, the movie he was talking about that time, which was City Lights, that's the one with the the young blind woman, um, mm-hmm. which came out in 1931, uh, he still earned $3 million from that movie. So four years <laughs> after Talkies, and it was like, no, I'm doing this. <laughs> now, he did finally break. Yeah, and, he made some. Yeah. Uh, well, The Great Dictator is, is yeah, in sound. Yeah, but he made but like five or six, I think, that had sound in them. Yeah, but he also isn't really the tramp in that film. He's playing no. the dictator character, so it is different. And actually, they show, thankfully, they show one of the most interesting clips from that, and it's the one where the dictator is playing with the giant globe that's a ball, and Chaplin's movements his balletic movements playing with that giant globe are just amazing. They're just so graceful. Um, it really showcases the fact, like, you don't... When you see somebody fall and you see them, you know, in a, in fist fights and stuff in the, in the slapstick, you don't think of grace and you don't understand the control, but the grace he shows in that scene is a really mm. nice counterpoint to just yeah. the regular getting hit with a fish. <laughs> oh, <laughs> not, that not that we don't enjoy people getting hit with a fish. Well, I know I do. Yeah. Um, so... We had some uh, questions you came up with about we this did. that we're, we're going to uh, apply to this movie and to some of the other biopics. Yep. Uh, what do you got? So, uh, we're going to try and, uh, as Max said, aim these at the other films too, but what do we know about Chaplin from this movie? What does this movie teach us? Now, that's, that is, a, I think, brings up a really interesting question about about this movie and about the way it shows him. We know a heck of a lot about what happens to him and what he does. We know almost nothing about his inner life. No. We don't know how he feels about most things, what he thinks about most things. And I actually thought that was... And I think that was one of the things people didn't like about the movie and some of the reviews I've read. But the thing is, that's what also is in his autobiography. It's very, lots of names, dates, places. It's very informational, but there's very little introspection. And we see from when he's talking to the biographer, when he's talking to Anthony Hopkins, 
who cares what the character's name is? It was Anthony <laughs> Hopkins. And he he doesn't want to talk about how he feels about things. He talks about, you know, he mentions one of his wives. He only mentions her and he gives two sentences in the book to her. Right. That's absolutely true. And I think the movie is saying that. It's saying, yeah, Chaplin, we don't know anything about him. It's not just you don't watching this movie. Nobody does. He Maybe his wives did. Maybe maybe Una knew him because, you know, she was with him the longest. She stayed with that. Not I gotta say, as, as weird and lopsided as that relationship yeah. was, she not only stayed with him for the rest of his life. They had eight kids together. Yeah, thirty-four and, years they were married. And apparently, she adored him. I, I, thirty-four years different. No, what was it? Fifty-four. Yeah, it was thirty-seven a, years 30, difference. Thirty-six. Thirty-six year difference. Thirty-seven. Did, well, they depends. were together. They didn't right, get married right. till she was eighteen. So. Okay. Uh, I, uh, uh, <laughs> and that would set a precedent for Hollywood, but uh, well, yeah. well, I, that that didn't set anything. Come on, old older men marrying younger women—that goes back to the pretty much as far as there have been older men and younger women. It does. Yeah, well, I, I know. Trying to control your shock, but yet we don't. We this movie does not teach us much about Chaplin the person. Yeah. We see him as the icon and as the, the pioneer, but we end up not knowing much about him. There's not a lot of emotional depth to this movie. The only time there is any is when his mother is, or his mother and his daughter, the same person, are on screen. Yeah. There's and, a little of it there. And, and the even weird part is they gloss over that, too, because it turns yeah. out that the mother never left the uh, mental hospital. She actually, once she was committed the second time... She spent the rest of her life there. There was no which house was, by the sea. There was no trip to the U.S. Although which in the is film, usually what happened yeah. in, in situations like that. Yeah. And, and the film, they, they we see the mother. We see her on stage. We then see Charlie working, and she's starting to go a little cuckoo. And then we finally we see her committed. But it's like in between, there's like no mention of her at all. She just disappears off screen. And then once she's committed. He just wanders away as if nothing ever happened. Weird thing is, he actually was sent to live with his dad. He and his brother were... They they were saying that the father was out of the picture when Charlie was young. It's like, no, they didn't know him well. His dad was a drunk, but they still went to live with him. Ah. Um, And Sid is... Now, here's the other thing that they they talk about, which is really kind of odd. Uh, Sid's his half-brother. He was an illegitimate child from uh, the same mother um, before, obviously, that she got married. And the father, whose name I, I forget, uh, Charles Chaplin Sr., whatever, uh, wasn't Charles, um, accepted him into the household uh, and they raised them together. And then there's this, this question about later on about, uh, you know, when, when World War II is, is coming up in the Nazis and Charlie's uptight because his brother is a, quote, half Jew. Well, here's the thing. Either they're both Jewish or neither of them is Jewish at all. Because, Max, correct me if I'm wrong, you follow the bloodline in Jewish culture through the mother, not the father. In the strictest sense, yes. However, the Nazis had a whole... They had a whole flowchart for how you determined <laughs> if someone was Jew. Oh, no, I ain't kidding. They didn't call it that, but it was a flowchart for how you determine, like, okay, if this, if this paternal grandmother was Jewish or if this second cousin's hairdresser's college roommate was half Jewish. It was a whole thing. Yeah. They, but, they were very much... And, be, and besides back then, well, not back then, there is still those who argue that Judaism is a race, that it is, if there's any uh, uh, 
genetics involved in it. If your father is Jewish, you're still part Jewish. It, we're not going to get into that. But no, because yeah, we have to was, bring in Sammy Davis Jr. and then things mm-hmm. get kind of. Well, he was a he was a convert. That's different. They don't allow that, do they? Sure, that well depends who you who you ask. Uh, if the really orthodox don't, but uh, uh, yeah, Judaism does allow conversion. Okay. You well, did, I guess just, he I mean, he did it. So you're never you're never allowed to buy retail again. But <laughs> sorry, but you do know sorry. where the good Chinese food is. You do know where the good Chinese food is. That is requirement. But, uh, Max can say that. I can. <laughs> I can. But uh, yeah, he he was, uh, and uh, a lot of people. For whatever reason, the same way, uh, assumed uh, Chaplin was Jewish, yeah, and he was de- he was not. No, and never claimed to be. He was not. He never saw it as an insult. But as he said, I cannot claim that honor. Yeah. Uh, how accurate was the depiction? Well, as we've said, to a degree, it sounded pretty. It seems pretty accurate. Now the thing is, when we ask that, it's not like we are now Chaplin scholars, no. and have have read a whole lot of stuff on him. But we've done, you know, we look at some preliminary stuff, and we've also looked at what other people have said, yeah. people who actually do know, and it's moderately accurate, at least in, on the surface. Uh, it le- it does, as Mike says, it commits mostly the sin of omission. It leaves out yeah. an awful lot. Yeah, and it it skates over an awful lot. Yeah, even factually, like because that's what we're mostly looking at. Uh, things they left out, like Chaplin was known for making literally hundreds of takes. In some cases, I think there was one scene he shot over a thousand times till <laughs> he got it right. There's a little tiny bit of that we see in the film. There's one point where it's uh, I forget her name, the secretary who's eating the beans. Oh yeah, per- Perviance. Yeah, Edna Perviance. And then there's one later on where he t- does another take of something, but like that whole like obsessive nature of making and remaking till he gets everything exactly right. They don't even talk about it at all. Um, but I'm going to agree. It's mostly a mission and for that for a Hollywood biopic, that's actually pretty good because a lot of times they'll just make things up and, you know, shoehorn things in to make for a better story. And in this case, they didn't do that. And we'll talk about that at the end. Mm. Um, the last question I think you kind of already answered and it goes along with the first mm. one. Do we feel we get to know the subject better after having watched this? Yeah. Oh, very little. I mean, we know more about what happened to him. We don't really know him. No. And maybe that's not a fault of the film. Maybe that's no. literally how he wanted it. Um, and that, yeah, that might be what the film is imp- is stressing: is that nobody knew, is that yeah. uh, he did, he let nothing, he didn't let the, his guard down with most people. Mm. I got to get to la- two last things. One of which, because I mentioned it early in the film, we talked about an assassination attempt. Yeah, this is something else they uh, they left out um, in the in the film uh, after. Uh, he, uh, I think it's after City Lights. Um, he goes touring Europe and even Japan. He was gone for 16 months um, because he just couldn't deal with the talking picture world, the whole talkie thing, and just went to him. Um, strangely, he was part of a nationalist assassination plot to try and start a war with the U.S. Um, what? There was actually a plot to assassinate Chaplin, thinking it would get the U.S. and Japan to start a war together. Huh. But, they found out about it in time, and they they didn't they did actually kill a major official. I can't remember who it was, but I was like, really? There was an assassination plot to take down Chaplin to start a war in the 1930s. You must kill Charlie <laughs> Chaplin. <laughs> I mean, you know, there should be a movie about that. Uh, seriously, that can you imagine being the guy who's trying to sell that plan to the high command? <laughs> 
Yeah. Apparently they were going to go through with it. So yeah. I just thought that was hilarious. Wow, um, that's that's pretty wild. And also, uh, they don't talk about any of Charlie's films. He made, I think, another three films after The Great Dictator. The last film was called A Countess from Hong Kong. Do you know who starred in that film? I do not. Sophia Loren and Marlon Brando. <laughs> Good Lord. It was Technicolor and widescreen. Charlie only appears in it as a steward. Oh. It's the only character he plays. Otherwise, he's directing it. It was his last film. Didn't do very well. But oh. they make it sort of feel like his his form of storytelling, he couldn't adapt at all and just stopped making films. And the tr- truth was, he did make a few more films and you know, often did have reasonable budgets, but they just weren't as memorable as his earlier stuff. Yeah. And the end of the movie, the, it, it's... or. The end of his story in a lot of ways is pretty sad. You know, J. Edgar Hoover got what he wanted and got him out of the country. Right. And it's just he went they were he and his he and Una went to England and while he was out they canceled his visa. Yeah. And wouldn't let him come back to the country, so he spent the rest of his life in Switzerland. Well apparently they were it wasn't that they weren't going to let him back in the country, but he had to face a board about, you know, are you a uh, communist? Have you ever been a yeah. communist? And since there was no actual evidence against him, in all likelihood, they probably couldn't have kept him out, but he was you like, the hell need, with it, I'm dumb. You didn't need evidence. Good Lord, what they did to the Hollywood 10, they didn't have ev- any real evidence, except that maybe they he, they shook hands with the wrong person or gotten a picture with the wrong person. But you have to remember, they, this is way before that. We haven't gotten quite to that point yet. No, so, we were getting close. This was, I think, 1952. But even still... Um, the article I read said the FBI really didn't have anything on him so that likely he would have been let in, but it had so soured Charlie on America at that point that he said the hell with it went to Switzerland and every, well, he came back in 1972, but that was yeah. just for the Academy Awards. Um, yeah, that's right. He was invited back for a special to be given a special Oscar. And then he went back to Switzerland. Yeah. You know, and I'm sure that that little scene where they're showing clips at the thing and Charlie's standing there in the dark crying is, you know, Hollywoodized, except that the people's reaction to his films was not. Like, I haven't watched the silent films. I mean, who's talked about those in decades? But watching some of those scenes, I'm laughing. They're funny. They really are. The guy was a genius, and it, it holds up. Yeah. Um but before we get to the part where we decide if we think this film holds up, do you have any more yeah. points, Max? Or no, that was no. I just wanted to make sure we got that in. Uh, do we want to do business before we get to the finality? Or no, no, no. We do the we finish up the movie, then we do business. Oh yeah, because we have to do things the same way. Uh, we are consistent. And it's now true. the wrap up. The roundup. Even though it's called the roundup, Max. Yeah. No, so, no, you st- you tell me. What did you think of this movie? Um. My memory of it was better than I think it is. Um, I think it's a good performance by Robert Downey Jr. I think it would have potentially led him in very different directions if not some tragic things happened to him that made him kind of unusable very soon um, until he got control of himself. Um, It's very disjointed. We go from vignette to vignette, sometimes not knowing how many years have passed. And in some case, it's quite a few. It's like, oh, darling, I love you. Next scene, there's twins. Where did the kid... You know, really? The kids are like nine years old. Like, we don't know how much money he's made, how many films he's made. You know, there's no... Like, we're, we're shown like three films he's put together, but the number of films that Charlie Chaplin actually made, the amount of footage... we don't really have any idea of it. His mother, oh no, the mother's tragic, she's gone. Oh, she's back, and she's gone again. 
The brother Sid goes away for a while. He comes back. He doesn't age. Charlie does. And in hmm. fact, we have to remember, Sid's like, I don't know, eight or nine years older than Charlie, except he only looks that way when they're younger. And the old age makeup, and speaking of which, the old age Ooh. makeup in Switzerland's okay, but yeah. then the old age makeup in 1972 is, I don't terrible. It's yeah, awful. It look, he looks, I'm sorry, he looks like a burn victim. Um... I think there are good things in this film. Kevin Klein's a standout. He's not in there a lot, but uh, he makes a great Douglas Fairbanks. Um, because of the way the film meanders and doesn't really give us a lot of depth, even of his history factually, I don't think it's a particularly great film. Um, I think for its length, I would rather have felt more complete one way or the other. Um, like, we got to know the person more, and if that's not possible, we need to know the career more. And they kind of did a little bit of both, and not nearly as much of his career as I would like to have seen. Mm. Um, but, again, we pointed out, factually, not bad. Mostly a mission, which, you know, you gotta cut somewhere. Maybe they filmed it. We don't know. Maybe the assassination plot in Japan is in there somewhere. Maybe the know. original movie was four hours long. Yeah. yeah. Well, how about you? What do you think? Uh, I, I pretty much agree with you. I think the performances in this movie are terrific. I think this is definitely an actor's movie. Uh, it's it's great to watch them. Narratively, it's very all over the place. It's It also goes from melodrama to trying to be a little more realistic to in a very choppy way. Uh, it's really hard to keep track of the timeline. I don't mind jumping timelines. I don't even mind going back and forth in the timeline. But you, you need it needs to be consistent. It needs to be understandable. And I think, as you say, there are several points where you go, wait, how long has this been? Yeah. What year is this? Where are we? Where are my pants? What's going on? <laughs> Where's the fire escape? <laughs> yeah. uh, again, I think it's I think it's a really interesting picture of some of Charlie Chaplin. We don't get any depth, but I think that may be kind of the point. Um, it's kind of surfacey. It's there's not a lot of there there. Mm. I can see why he got nominated and the picture didn't. Yeah, I, yeah. That, I think that says it right there. Yeah, yeah. Um, nice, nice job, Robert. But uh, yeah, the movie itself is okay. Yeah, it's not it's not spectacular. It's okay, and it, it's also if you do want to watch, it's easy to watch it in pieces. Yeah, because it's filmed in pieces. Yeah. And, and it feels that way. And yeah. hey, if you don't know anything about Charlie Chaplin and never watched one of his films, yeah, uh, they're silent. When you hear the soundtracks, yeah, he, he wrote those too. <laughs> he did everything. Yeah. He directed, he starred, he wrote. He played he a lot of the music on them, yeah. Yeah. Um, he yeah. really was a genius in a time when this kind of visual communication didn't really exist except for on stage. But he was doing things you couldn't do on stage because yeah. he was doing the film. Watch a couple of his films. I mean, there's a reason people are still watching them over 100 years later. Um, yeah, it's worth don't... it. Uh, also, real quick, TriStar and Carol Co. Remember them? Yeah, okay. <laughs> but uh, let's get a little business out of the way here. Yes. Uh, you can, of course... Find us on our... Per oh, we haven't gone over to talkies. Our website is completely <laughs> silent at maxmikemovies.com. No, it's got the other the way around. Yeah, well, we've got the uh, complete uh, back catalog of all of our episodes in living black and white. Uh, you can also find us on social media at Facebook or Twitter at maxmikemovies.com. You can find us on the podcast app of your choice. And you can find us on Spotify. And if you have questions, comments, complaints concerns, other words starting with C, you can email us at us 
at MaxMikeMovies.com, where we also hope you'll uh, email us or leave a comment on our poll question about have you ever walked out of a movie, and if so, which one? And, and why? why? <laughs> so, what are we going to watch next week? Well, I like to keep things themic. I mean, yes, we're doing biopics, semi-real people. So I want to do uh, something else about another British person, another upper-crust performer from Britain. Uh, you may have heard of, well, to be fair, it's about a, a pair. One of them is a performer. The other one is that person's spouse, I think. Not sure. Uh, it's a little film about a not very well-known uh, singing sensation known as Sid Vicious. We're going to be watching <laughs> Sid and Nancy. Ah, uh, good movie. A twelve-year-old Gary Oldman, because uh, I think it is. He's uh, I think it's nineteen eighty-six. And uh, he portrays Sid Vicious, and uh, he also portrays Nancy. It's uh, not a oh, known fact, but... he does not. <laughs> I'm pretty sure he does. Stop lying. <laughs> no, but if to see if we're lying, tune in next week where we will Sid Vicious and Nancy. Oi! This has been a co-production of The Voice of Max and the movie wrench.